Welcome to the GUT podcast on the commentary paper, Climate Change, a survey of global gastroenterology society leadership, published in paper copy in GUT in October 2022. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Digital and Education Editor of GUT, and a consultant gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And extend a very warm welcome to Professor Desmond Ledin from the Department of Medicine, Dalhousie University, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. He is also chair of the World Gastroenterology Organization Climate Change Education Group. Professor Ledin is the first author on his excellent commentary and on his global survey. Professor, thank you for joining me today to do this podcast and congratulations on your excellent commentary. Firstly, could I ask you to explain the background to your study and why research in this area is so important? Yes, thank you, Dr. Smith, and thank you very much for the opportunity to to speak on this. So I think we would all recognise that climate change is underway now, well underway, and it has significant implications for digestive health. The medical community hasn't been enormously involved in this, but it really needs to engage. And peer societies, gastroenterology societies, have a very important role to play in bringing their membership into this debate. We need to understand, therefore, the attitudes, the work already done in GI societies and the barriers which they face to engaging on this issue so that we can move to solutions. So with that in mind, we surveyed the leadership of 117 gastroenterology societies uh, globally in order to get the opinions and input of the leadership. Thank you. Uh, very clear, and I can completely agree with you on how important this area is. So what are the new findings your study has found? The first one uh, was that we, we got a very high response rate. Nearly 50% of the people we surveyed replied, and that's very unusual. Often these surveys, membership uh, replies are in the order of 7 or 10%, and you're never really sure what this means. But at 50%, we're pretty sure we've got good representation. Furthermore, we have representation and replies from all global economic and geographic zones so that we feel that the results may well be valid. Um, The global leadership do believe, 86% do anyway, that climate change is caused entirely or mostly by human activity. And that's good because it is. However, 14% still believe that it's equally caused by natural and human forces. So there's some education there to do still with regard to leadership. One of the main findings is that when we asked leadership how concerned they were about this issue on a scale of zero, not concerned at all, to 100, absolutely very concerned, the median score was 86. So leadership is very concerned about this. However, when we asked them how much of a priority was it for their societies, they gave us a median score of only 36. So there's a big gap between how concerned leadership are about this and the actions which they're taking in their individual peer societies to move this agenda forward. Furthermore, when we ask them uh, how many have a climate change committee or working group in place, which might facilitate engagement, only 10% of that have that. 
16% have an advocacy group, uh, again, a minority have a plan to build resilience, and only 16% have education programs or a plan to reduce carbon footprint. On the plus side, nearly a third are planning to move to hybrid meetings and reduce their carbon footprint that way. When we asked leadership why the lack of engagement, I mean, you're very concerned about it. Your, your worry level is 86, but it's not a priority for your society. What is the reason for this lack of engagement? They cited, first of all, a lack of awareness and knowledge of their membership, a lack of imminent threat of this uh, problem, a belief that the health sector either could not change its practices or was not responsible, and the inability to have an impact. Now, we know that all of these factors can be corrected. For example, the NHS has dramatically reduced its carbon footprint, so we know that societies can change what they're doing. One of the other concerns raised was the competing demands of clinical work, and that one's going to be a bit more difficult to address, obviously, but the others are amenable to change. The leadership also indicated that they're willing to change. The majority said they would consider establishing a climate change committee or working group, which we know helps move this forward, or engage in advocacy, um, hold education sessions on the topic, three quarters said they would do that, and over 80% agreed that they would consider a mix of annual meetings in online and in-person events. So there is, for sure, uh, a willingness to change. We also asked them how useful would some interventions be in helping them move this uh, forward. And a majority said that training for a member of their society would be helpful. 73% indicated that information on how to advocate for change would be helpful, as would slide decks and guidance on hybrid meetings. So those, uh, Philip, are the main findings in this uh, study. Thank you. They're, they're really interesting findings, especially the discrepancy between the importance and the priority that you, you've shown. So how might climate change impact on clinical practice in the foreseeable future? We think that climate change will have a very profound effect on clinical practice over the next several decades. We need to know a lot more about the effects of heat, changes in rainfall, the weather events which will threaten infrastructure and the delivery of care. We need to understand a lot more about the relationship between biodiversity loss and climate change and digestive health. And there are, of course, enormous implications with regard to water security, access to clean water, food security, and threats to the infrastructure and supply chain. We, uh, we, we are not really seeing yet any changes in the usual GI diseases, uh, those patterns, but some new illnesses may begin to appear. And certainly the distribution of some illnesses, and I'm thinking, for example, of the distribution of Vibrio on the northeast and northwest coasts of the uh, United States will change as uh, climate changes. The other issue which we need to know more about is the effect of all of this stress and mental health um, disturbance on the digestive tract. And we need to understand how we can facilitate behavior change with regard to addressing the problem. So I think there are numerous ways in which the climate crisis will impact on our ability to deliver uh, digestive care. 
Thank you. Completely agree. And it's very clear what the answer that you've given. So it's clear that we do need to change the way that we work, but how quickly do we need to do this? And what pitfalls or hurdles do you foresee? Yes, thank you. I think the, the issue is urgent. I There is at least some suspicion that the process may be a bit more advanced um, than it appears. And there are all kinds of signals from around the world at the moment that the rise in temperature of only 1, 1.1 degrees centigrade from pre-industrial is already um, causing profound change. So we need to act quickly. We also need to act quickly because there's a lag time. The, the, the duration of action of greenhouse gases when they're put into the atmosphere can be measured in hundreds of years. So the actions we take now may not have an effect for quite some considerable time. So we need to get on with it. We did explore in open text questions um, with the leadership what the barriers were to uh, progress. And we've identified three blocks of barriers. The first are financial. So there are financial disincentives to change. For example, if a society generates revenue from holding an annual meeting because more people are registered, then there may be a disincentive to go to hybrid meetings or virtual meetings. There are systemic blocks to engagement, and these are things like a lack of awareness and a lack of education, a lack of climate action groups within societies. But we can fix these. But the third block, and the one we need to be very careful about, are the psychological blocks to engagement on this. It's, it's kind of a negative topic, and it turns a lot of people off. It's just not a good news story. And we need to recognize that, yes, that's true, but that means we still have to address it. And uh, some psychologists have identified numerous inbuilt psychological blocks in humans as to why we don't engage. For example, temporal discounting is a tendency that we have to prioritize threats which are immediate and long-term, slowly evolving threats tend to get pushed to the back of the line. And certainly that's the kind of behavior that we're seeing uh, in our approach to global uh, climate change. Thank you, Prof. Uh, I mean, I think we can all uh, appreciate uh, the the changes that occurred during the pandemic uh, between flying uh, to conferences or traveling to conferences and doing virtual conferences. And now there's a shift back, it seems, towards attending in person. But the psychological element is really interesting. Climate change research is unequivocal. There's no doubt about it. But how might this study impact on research priorities in gastroenterology in this particular area in the foreseeable future, do you do you think? Well, I think that the priority which we've identified in the survey of leadership is to raise awareness and lift the level of education in gastroenterology societies around this issue. So one research priority would be how to position and frame the issue of climate change in a way that will move gastroenterologists and digestive health providers from concern to action. So that's a key issue. There is evidence that simply making people aware of the issue doesn't necessarily mean that they'll take any action. So we need to look at this from a behavioral change uh, perspective. 
We need research on how to position the message on how to be effective advocates. We need a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do with regard to mitigation of the emissions which we uh, as digestive health providers uh, produce. There is literature that uh, gastroenterology is the third highest uh, producer of hazardous waste uh, in hospitals. So we have to work hard to reduce our carbon footprint. We have to do research on how to adapt to the challenges of a warming climate. And then all of those other things that I mentioned earlier on, and when you asked me about the impact of climate change and digestive health, so we need to know more about heat, changes in rainfall, weather events, biodiversity loss, water security, infrastructure threats and changes in disease patterns, the link between mental health and digestive health in this issue, and of course, the enormous challenge of migration. As some areas become, unfortunately, uninhabitable, there will be significant migration of human populations. And there has been very little work done on the uh, health Uh, implications of that, and particularly on the climate uh, change, digestive health implications of it. So lots of areas uh, to get involved in there. And I would certainly say for any young or or older faculty member who's who's looking for a meaningful uh, research area where you can make a massive contribution at, at a stage in your career, this is certainly one to focus on. I absolutely agree. I think there's a, a huge amount to be done and done now, really. So um, thank you for that answer. So you, you have mentioned a, a number of times the need for education of digestive health providers. Could you just briefly give us an overview, um, finally, of how that could be done? Yes, thank you. Well, at this stage, as identified by the survey, the need is for education, and for organization and to help digestive health societies put together climate action groups. The BSG and the NHS have done outstanding work and we need to translate that globally. And uh, we understand that individual societies may not have the expertise at this time in order to engage. So we need to educate a cohort of gastroenterologists, digestive health providers globally, who can lead the effort in their individual societies. Uh, Some of that can be done by talks at annual meetings, but that's going to be pretty slow. So what we're proposing instead is to establish a climate change course for global gastroenterology. And that is in the uh, development stage at the moment. And we hope to launch it on March 8th uh, of this year. It'll be a six or eight session course over six to eight weeks, an hour a week with world experts in the area. And at the end of it, participants will will have a significant expertise in this area. So we that's what we hope to do. We're planning and launching it in March, and we're uh, confident that it will lead to development of a group of, of educators globally who can drive this issue forward. Well, thank you, Professor. And that, what you've just described is well worth attending and joining. So thank you very much for that. Uh, and thanks for doing uh, this podcast today. I've really enjoyed it, found it very interesting. I think your study results are really important. And congratulations to you and your colleagues on the fantastic commentary being published in GUT. To our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us um, today. If you want to read the commentary, please click on the link underneath this podcast. And of course, please do join us in the future for further gut podcasts. Thank you.